Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 34th edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, recorded here in central London, just off Abbey Road. After the flood that flooded out so much of the area in St. John's Wood, where I live, been shacking up in an Airbnb with no Wi-Fi while they rip apart the old flat and put it back together. So I'm going to try to keep getting the show out to you here. And this week is part two of our in-depth look at Eric Clapton's box set Crossroads, which came out in 1988. It was career-spanning, really from 63 in his time with the Yardbirds as an 18-year-old, all the way through present day at the time as a solo artist in his mid-40s. It's an incredible set, one that I've loved for years, one that Action Jackson and I shared together in college. And of course, my dad shared it with me too. If you heard the first episode, you'll know that I kind of conned my dad into sharing the expense of this incredible box set. $60 in 1988 is $160 today. So as a teenager, I uh, used my magic to get my dad to help me out with that. But on this episode, we kind of pick up where we left off. We're talking about the Derek and the Domino's years, kind of the end of disc two, beginning of disc three in the early 70s. An incredible time for Clapton. He's playing with Dwayne Allman. He's in love with Patty Harrison, George Harrison's wife. And he created this incredible band, an incredible record, Layla and other assorted love songs. And from there, we kind of go into the 70s where he has some down spots. It's when the alcohol and drugs start to have a bigger effect on him and then come and gets resurrected in the 80s. We also talk about the first time I ever saw Eric Clapton as a teenager in the third row where I actually caught the drummer Steve Ferroni's drumstick. Of course, Steve went on to become a member of the Heartbreakers and toured with Tom Petty for years, and I got to see him a few times there. Now, as always, we want to hear from you to know which songs, which albums, which bands you want us to talk about. So you got to reach out to us at Twitter at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72 and make sure you download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast apple spotify amazon anywhere you get them and check out our page on feedspot we're featured on one of the top 25 rock music podcasts on their top 25 list so check out feedspot.com and look for us there and check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com and it's fun for me to review that special time in my life when I was 16 and me and my buddies got to see Eric Clapton in the third row, caught the drumstick. I even bet my buddy Davis that he would not play I Shot the Sheriff, and he did. Check out setlist.fm, look for an April Cincinnati at the Riverfront Coliseum show, and check out that set list. It was amazing, changed my life, put me on a path to want to see as many rock concerts as I possibly could. So we're going to talk about that, we're going to talk about the second half of Crossroads, and we're also going to talk about the latter half of Eric Clapton's career. He's basically had another 30 years since the Crossroads came out. So it makes you wonder, could he put together kind of a part two that started uh, around the journeyman time and went to present day? So kick back and listen, guys. This is episode number 34. Talking about Eric Clapton here on The Wolf. Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Layla, the song Layla couldn't be more classic with the break, with the piano. I mean, the the amazing riff, the song. And it's it's about Patty. It's about Patty Harrison, the woman who he was totally in love with, wanting to take his best friend's wife. And he was all caught up in that. And I guess the band kind of got caught up in it, too. Oh, boy. You know? <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I think, you know, those guys didn't age well. I mean, it's like a couple of them are dead. One of them ended up in the in the loony bin, you know. But some of these songs, the roll it over, tell the truth, he still plays to this day. And it was cool that they included some things from the second album that didn't happen. Because Layla and other assorted love songs was a double album. And there were some jams that were incredible that didn't make it on there, but they eventually made it on like the 30th anniversary edition. And they were thinking about maybe making a second record, but of course it didn't come to fruition, especially after Dwayne didn't didn't make it. But, you know, even doing Mean Old World, you know, with Dwayne, it's like, God, that's some, some killer stuff. And then they do Crossroads Live. Crossroads with these guys versus Cream is, I'm not going to say it's better, but it's different and it's cool. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of a cool, I think that's the only one I'd have to go back here and look, but I think that's the only track that they they include more than once, and it is cool to hear the different takes on it. Well, after midnight, they do two different versions of that. Well, that's right, that's right, and we'll get to that we'll at the that. end. That is true. And if you listen um, but, to Roll It Over, George Harrison plays guitar on there, and you can. George is a great slide player in his own right. He's not Dwayne; he's different. Right. But even listening to those Wilbury stuff, George does some really cool slide work, and on on Roll It Over. He's on it, which is amazing that he's on an album that's basically about somebody else wanting to take your wife. <laughs> yeah, and not not somebody else wanting to take your wife in quotes. No, it's actually your wife. Your wife. <laughs> and he but does you know eventually. <laughs> that's all right. He took her back. What? Okay. Um, but the other cool thing about just for a quick to go back to Layla, I, mm-hmm. I was just thinking about this too. The the end of the song with the piano, mm-hmm. that's that's super iconic in Goodfellas. Super like that, iconic. like that. I mean, that it's not even the whole song; it's just the back half of the song, and yet you associate that with this giant movie. So it just tells you how how powerful of a song that was. And the other thing is. I'm just going to say this right now because it's been a pet peeve of mine for years. Okay. He went and did that acoustic record in what, the early to mid 90s? Must have been 92 because that's when uh, yeah. we were living together. Yeah. Okay. And so he plays Layla on that, right? Yep. And there's he goes into it, but it doesn't sound anything like the album version. And there's one guy that really, ah, 
You're lying. You didn't know what that was. Because then he goes into, what do you do when you get... And then the whole crowd goes, oh, oh, and they start clapping. That first guy, you didn't know what it was. You just clapped and thought you were cool. Be quiet. (laughs) Anyway, that's my pet peeve. But yeah, it really is. The stuff that he was doing at this point in time was really cool. And different, yes, but not super different from the from the earlier stuff. But you're right. It's different. I mean, it's it's got a little bit more Southern rock, mm-hmm. Texas country kind of meld to it. And, and he goes a little bit into country. Look, he, he's always delved into different areas, you know, whether it was psychedelia or reggae or country or, you know, whatever it might be. But eventually he always kind of comes back to the blues. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, 17 songs on the second disc and some of them, you know, are, are good, you know, six, seven, eight minutes long where you can really get into some of these jams and really let him shine as a lead guitarist. Yeah. Yes. And then he would get into, into the, into the solo stuff again, kind of in the, what the mid seventies. Yeah. So, I mean, disc three is, is, you know, end of disc two, disc three is the Derek and the Dominoes. Stuff. It's amazing that they really, for the most part, pulled it off one album, although some stuff came from unreleased, you know, from maybe the second album. And some of it was live. One More Chance is obviously him lamenting, please, Patty, you know, please, just one more, come on, I won't screw it up this time, uh, you know, kind of thing. But then, yeah, I mean, it, it took him a little while to kind of get over that because in the, I feel like after Derek and the Dominoes came out and after Dwayne died, he did some live albums, he did some greatest hits albums. But it took a little while before he got back to being ready to to do some solo albums, original solo albums again. Yeah, and when and when he did, it he it was pretty pretty exciting. Well, yeah, I mean the first one back, four sixty one Ocean Boulevard is. I, I I've listened to that cover to cover a thousand times. I love that record. I just it was just something about the vibe. Yeah, I know the big one was you know I shot the sheriff. Okay, cool. But I think I actually think that was pretty cool because that introduced a lot of people who may who had never. Bob who? Mm-hmm. What? No, Bob Marley. Check him out. Oh, wow. Thank you. And I think he was a, I think it was, he was a big fan of Bob Marley uh, mm-hmm. in general. And really, I think he did that really to try and introduce people and just say, hey, th- this is great. Listen to this. And it's not, it's not the same as Bob Marley. So you can listen to the two versions, but it's cool to see what he did with that. I, I totally agree with you. And Let It Grow was a good one off of there. It, it, this is an album I got at like the $5 bin. I'm like, why is this in the $5 bin? Exactly. This, yeah. this makes no sense. Cool. So yeah, I got a Willie and the Hand Jive, which is you know about uh, spending quality time by yourself. Um, but it's a, it's a classical blues, and he, and he put that on there. To me, yeah, I though, love, uh, I was going to say Motherless Children. That's that it. is yeah that that is real, and I understand that's a traditional. He didn't write it, but it's his take on it. But yeah, the, just the whole the vibe of it, the way that he sings it, the guitar work on it is just fantastic. And I don't know if he did all the slide or George Terry did some of it on there as well i really don't care just it just it's kind of got that country honk tonk to it at the beginning yeah and it's like hold on let me get my slide out now just in time and it's it's so good i had it on the 90 minute save and when he toured with doyle bram hall and Derek trucks in his band he brought that back because Derek trucks is the best living slide guitar player on the face of the earth right now and i saw him in jacksonville and i remember i knew it was in the set list so i was hoping it was coming and when it did, they just play that opening bit. And I just stand up, yes, 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 yes. And everyone else sitting down like, man, this isn't cocaine. And, and I'm, it was like, yes, yes, I'm standing up. I'm throwing my – and people are looking at me like, what's wrong with this guy? This was never on the charts. I'm like, this is the best. 
best Eric Clapton song, You Don't Know, and just sit down and watch Derek Trucks do his thing. And I knew every note. I knew every word. I'm like, this is a great moment in my life. So Trucks knocked that out of the park? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. He's so good, man. <laughs> he's so good. And it's like, and he's not even that much of a show-off. No. You know? No. He's happy yeah, he's, to give everybody just, credit. He, yeah, and he's 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 the guy that he could I could see him playing on a on a street corner mm-hmm. just to do it. You know, like oh, just I'll just sit here and play for a minute. Like he's just a dude who loves playing the guitar. Yeah, it doesn't have to be I'm the best. Look at me. Just you know, you sit there and listen to him. And I think like there, he's got a band or something that, together, and it's pretty much just the next generation of the Almonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. All those like the like the the amount of talent that was in that band is insane. No doubt. And I, I saw him in the Almonds kind of at the, at the end of their run. I've seen mm-hmm. him with his wife, uh, Susan Tedeschi, a, a couple mm-hmm. of times. And, he, and I think they're coming to London, so I might try to, to see them if I can. But uh, he shares the spotlight. You know, he doesn't need to be the one up there. He, he lets other people have their time under the bright light. And he's like, I'll just stand back here behind my wife and slide a little bit. It's not a big deal, you know. He's just cool. Yeah. Yeah, just just a guy who's so good at what he does. He doesn't have to. He's he's showing off, but not really showing off. He's just he's just doing his thing. And I think that he he just loves to play. And and uh, in fact, uh, my brother in law went to go see Molly Hatchet mm. in Jacksonville. And tr- and uh, he's uh, trucks is from Jacksonville, right. so he just got like unannounced, just got up on stage and just jammed with them because he was like, "Oh, these guys are playing. Hey, cool. Uh, can I get up there? Absolutely. Come on up. Heck yeah. So yeah, just a really. It, it sounds like a really cool dude. Yeah, no doubt. But now to me, once you kind of get past four sixty one Ocean Boulevard, eh, there's a little bit of you know, there's some some dark matter. There's some some black holes. <laughs> around here and it, it is when his alcohol yeah. and drugs were really starting to to hamper his ability to really do what's best on the guitar because there's one in every crowd is is not a great record and he puts swing low sweet chariot on there um swing low sweet chariot yeah what in the world and you know <laughs> hi just high H I G H was a song, you know. They, they only they only put so much from that. I think better make it through the day is is the only one that they really put on there, if I'm not mistaken. And, and you know, and then he and then he goes in and he continues to do stuff like Sky is crying. You know, does some of that stuff, which is uh, obviously it's an Elmore James song. It's not just his. You know, Jimi Hendrix did it. Stevie Ray Vaughan did it. Right. Um, You know, that's on there because it's a blues standard. It's not because it's a great Clapton song necessarily. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, EC Was Here was a live album. No Reason to Cry. Eh, Well, I don't know. If you heard this thing cover to cover, that might be one decent reason. Well, okay, so it's it's interesting you say that because I would agree with you. But the the so they've got hello friend which I mean that's that's an okay song. Sign language is weird, hmm. but I really love the way he and Dylan. I don't even want to call it harmonizing because they're not really harmonizing. Right. They're kind of they're singing their own part, but the voices sound really cool together. And years later, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it. I'm just maybe making connections in my head. Jacob Dylan did Sixth Avenue Heartache mm-hmm. with Adam Dirch from the Counting Crows. And their voices don't really, they're not harmonizing either. Like you can tell they're different, but it sounds good together. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I just, I just like that. I like the way that their voices play off of each other on this song. That, that's, you know, and that's a fair take. And I, I'm probably being a little harsh 
on it, it because it's it's not my favorite record. And uh, obviously they're going to take a collaboration with Bob Dylan and put it on there. Why mm-hmm. why not? You know, that that's pretty cool. Even if it wasn't a big hit, who cares? Yeah. Except, you know, was it was it on the album? Oh, yeah, it didn't make it on till um till disc four. Because it was it was later disc three and then disc four, they really just kind of started to, to move around. For the most part, it was kind of in chronological order before okay. that. And then once you get to the mid seventies through kind of the mid eighties, it's kinda like, yeah, let's just kind of pick and choose. Well, that was kind of all a blur anyway. So. Yeah, right. And and he does a Peter Tosh song with what you're gonna oh. do. He did a cover of Knocking on Heaven's Door. I was surprised they didn't put the little wing Derek and Domino's version on there because it's fantastic on the album. Oh, yeah. But it didn't make uh-huh. it onto the box set and, and did some, you know, another I Found a Love. It's a Leon Russell song, you know, but it just seemed like a lot of the stuff he did later in the 70s, once you get past Slow Hand, because, you know, Those Are to Cry isn't horrible. I didn't love it. Slow Hand has got big hits on it. It's, yes. it's It's got Cocaine, it's got Wonderful Tonight, and Lay Down Sally. You know, not to mention, you know, Mean Old Frisco's on there as well, um, which is something he did with the, with the Dominoes. So, and there's been reboots of that album and stuff like that. But Backless was not a fantastic album. I think Tulsa Time, I mean, they put Promises on there. Tulsa Time was kind of a hit that he did on the Arms tour, but is it my favorite? You know, it's a country song. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and I, th- I think you're right. I think this was kind of he was he was really kind of being. I mean, I don't even know if he even wanted to make some of these records. To be honest with you, or we see, we see being pushed. I mean, he was really in a bad place. Uh, like I said before, he he's admitted that he there were entire tours that he doesn't even remember. Like that, you know, he sees footage and he's like, okay, cool, yeah, I guess I was there, but right. I, I just don't think he was in the best shape during these days. No, he wasn't. So I mean, that was seventy seventy eight when when Backless came out, I and mean, it was not mm-hmm. until nineteen eighty one that another ticket comes out. And I can't stand it's not a bad song. I, you know, they, they put yeah. this, I, I liked it, but I you know I don't really like much else off the record. Money and Cigarettes, great title. <laughs> you know, but what what were the big songs? You know, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, none of them. As far as I'm concerned, none of them. You know, they, they, you might have had a single, but I didn't hear it on the radio. You know, I've got yeah. a rock and roll heart, The Shape You're In, Slow Down Linda, huh? They, they released these songs? I don't remember any of these songs. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because Rock and Roll Heart, I've heard on the radio, and it really, it does sound like, okay, you, you need a song, here you go. I got a Rock and Roll Heart, boom, done. I'm going I'm going to sleep now. Yeah, yeah so I think that was, a, that was not his greatest output. I agree. But then, you know, you get to disc four, and it has Hello Old Friends, Sign Language, Further on up the road, Lay Down Sally, Wonderful Tonight, Cocaine, Promises, pretty solid stuff. It, it may have been over a long set of years, but, uh, but you know, it, it, it works on the record, you know, and, yeah, and it, I can't stand it's they, on there. Yeah, I'm glad they didn't put the big hits because this was after August and this was after Behind the Sun. And mm-hmm. they didn't put like, yeah, it, by that by that point in time, by like the mid to, to late 80s, he was full on like kind of pop music. So that really, I don't think that would have, like Forever Man wouldn't have fit on this disc, even though that was probably one that was still kind of hanging around that people would have known um, as a hit. So yeah, the fourth one is kind of a, yeah. But it may have had the the B-side to Forever Man on there. Because I remember I was a little surprised, not upset, but a little surprised that they didn't have It's In The Way That You Use It, which was in the Color of Money soundtrack. Mm -hmm. But... 
uh, yeah, Forever Man. Um, and Donald Duck Dunn was his bass player at that point, uh, most famous from Booker T and the MGs. And playing with Steve the Colonel Cropper all those years, but in the uh, Blues Brothers band. Yes. If shit fits, wear it. That's Donald Duck done. <laughs> you know, uh, what was the B side? The B side was too bad. And that's on there, yeah. And that's on there, yeah. So it's like they didn't put Forever Man on there, which Steve Winwood picked out of his catalog when they played together. Steve Winwood says, I like this one. Uh, I can sing some of this. And let's do this one. And Clive's like, yeah, sure, I guess. You know, why not? And of course, Whatever Steve did an amazing <laughs> job at it, you know. But yeah. yeah, he was working with Phil Collins. Eric Clapton was at that point. And, uh, you know, uh, Don Luck Don, Chris Staten on the keyboards. And Chris has been touring with him a lot over the last 15 mm-hmm. years. But yeah, drums and produced by Phil Collins on Too Bad. Yes. I think he produced that whole record, Behind the Sun. Behind the Sun, yeah. And, and yeah. Behind the Sun was like, okay, look, Clapton's, he's cleaned up now. We, we can do something with him now. And the the other big song off there, She's Waiting, you know, I still like that one. It, it's, it's a little bit stuck in time. It, it's a little bit, yeah, that sounds very 80s without having having like all the keyboard techno in it. Okay. It's like, I like that. That sounds like it comes from the eighties. Yeah. But it's, it's not a bad track. No, it's I not, like it. Especially on, especially on something like this. That's, that's so jam packed. It's not a bad, it's not a bad one to include. Mm-hmm. And they include heaven is one step away with mm-hmm. that same lineup. And Ray Cooper's on percussion along with Phil Collins. You know, so you've got a great team, uh, and this is this is Clapton kind of rounding himself back into shape. It is the way yeah. I look at it. You know, after maybe a decade of being, you know, now he's kind of back to being. You know, I can take my rightful place again. Yeah, and, and really, yeah, start putting out records, touring again, kind of coming back from. Even though he really technically never went away, right. uh, he did go. He did go away because he was having all kinds of problems i think that he he went to one of those like either you're you're gonna go to rehab or you're gonna die places Mm -hmm. Uh, and i know he's a big he's a big advocate of uh sobriety and getting people i think he's got a whole big his own thing like in the bahamas somewhere or something crossroads center yeah Uh, yeah it's in um it's in the caribbean and that's what the crossroads festival is for every year is to raise money for the crossroads center and i was lucky enough to get one of the guitars that was signed by Eric and Jeff Beck and Carlos Santana and Bo Diddley and B.B. King and James Taylor and Joe Walsh and all the guys from ZZ Top. And I'm really glad it didn't burn up in a fire that I had to deal with. Right. Yeah, recently. But yeah, you're right. You know, don't don't put just the, the big hits off there. You know, give us give us, you know, and want to make love to you which was a slow blues song. You know, it was it was a B-side that eventually went on like a, a reissue or whatever, but it made it on Crossroads. So that's that's mm-hmm. cool, you know. It's, they use stuff that you couldn't get because that's what box sets are. Yeah, you got to have big hits in there, but you got to have unreleased stuff or, or the rarities, B-sides, whatever. Right. You know, for the hardcore fans, you know, who, who want this stuff. And so, girl, I'm going to miss you. You know, that's just... Back to the blues, you know, uh, that's that's back to being who he was supposed to be, you know. And so these last few songs, which have Nathan East as the bass player on there, mm-hmm. and Nathan East is a fantastic bass player. He's literally played on thousands of records. You go look up Nathan East, they can't list all his records because it's like 1,500, 2,000 records he's played on. He's so good. Yeah, and I think if you if you ask, and I'm talking like big time, like Eric Clapton, Sting, anybody like that, who you could have any Nathan East. 
Like there would be, he would be number one on everyone's list. Yeah. He's just, and, and just another cool guy too. When you see him play, not real flashy, just yeah. doing, doing his thing back there, but he's just, just grooving. Yeah. That's, he's that's pretty right. cool. Yeah. That is the one, that is the run cool thing about being Eric Clapton and having that kind of stroke is anybody that you want wants to play with you. You get the top tier. Yeah. Musicians. All you have to do is ask. Even Correct. if they're busy, they'll get on busy. You know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. And because, you know, and sometimes, you know, look, you know, even I saw, I saw him play with Nathan East on the Journeyman Tour. Um, And, but then he didn't play with him for a lot of years because he has his own thing called foreplay. It's kind of a jazzy thing that he does. Mm -hmm. He was also in Toto for a while. But so he he has these collection of people and they kind of come in and out of the band, you know. And so Nathan was on like his most recent tour. Uh, of a few years ago, you know, uh, but he hadn't been with him for a long time. So people can kind of come in and, and come out and it's like, are you available? Yes. You know, I'm in, you know, if you will know, okay, well, we'll use Willie Weeks. I saw Willie Weeks play bass with him several times throughout the course of the 2000s and the 2010s. But then to get Nathan East back in is awesome. And I got to tell you, Jackson, well, first let's, let's talk about After Midnight because there was, they wrap it up with the second two-time song on there, After Midnight, which is a J.J. Kale song. But this was more like the, this wasn't the funky upbeat. This was like the down blues one made very famous in a Michelob commercial. And I, th- I think if I remember correctly, this, the, it was kind of, it was the Michelob commercial, but it was also like kind of the ad for this set thing. Maybe. And, but it was cool because it was like, it, it, the, it was a beer commercial, which, you know, it, when you're, 14 or whatever you think that's the cool oh man beer is cool <laughs> yeah and it was dark you know mm-hmm. like the whole thing was dark and it was like yeah that really fit well and it's it's different but it's 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 not really a remake it's like an alternate version yeah like you would it doesn't replace the other one but like yeah they did a really cool job with that and just you know to hear him sing really slow it just fits so well I agree. I agree. And, and Steve Woodwin's Don't You Know What the Night Can Do also got to be in that Michelob campaign. And I think something of Phil Collins did, but, you know, all Phil Collins stuff runs together at that point for me. <laughs> like, love Genesis, but Phil Solo eventually kind of got to be, yeah, don't you have anything else to do? It's a cool, It's a, that's a cool way to kind of cap off the whole thing, too, with a with a new song that's not really a new version of an old song that that was in kind of the public I farther out than this collection because I mean everybody saw the commercial and you're like oh yeah no there's Eric oh yeah Eric Clapton I remember him he's cool so it's uh yeah I, I thought that was awesome with that. I just thought it was a great version you're right yeah it's cool it's killer you know and the huge success of this box set I mean three million copies in the U.S. alone holy mackerel kind of led to a resurgence you know and in 88 you know a lot of things that were 20 years ago were now really cool again you know like in the last in that 87 88 Woodstock came back in in a big way whereas in the early 80s you know Woodstock and hippie stuff like yeah we don't want to know from that but you know Sergeant Pepper became 20 years old so it was 20 years ago today that Sergeant Pepper came out and, you know, uh, people got nostalgic about, about Woodstock, The Who, and The Stones, and Pink Floyd did big tours, 87, 88, 89, and 90. And so everything old was new again, and this box set was huge, and now Clapton's kind of, all right, got some momentum now. Now I'm kind of back on top, and he put out the album Journeyman, which had a few pretty big hits 
for him in that time frame. And, and it got him on MTV. It got him more exposure and, and he got to do more. He got to team up with some more people and do some more kind of one-off stuff. But, you know, pretending, bad love, no alibis, we're all big. And then you throw in Before You Cuse Me and, you know, he, he did Hound Dog on there. He did Run It On Faith, which is something he kind of still does, especially acoustically. It led right into a huge comeback for him in Journeyman. Yeah, yeah, that, that record was I remember when that came out and you're right it, it, it built off of the Crossroads deal but that even in its even if he hadn't had this box set that was a huge record I mean he had what four or five singles off of that mm-hmm. I remember it being on the radio all the time and everybody like you said was really excited Eric Clapton is back I think the the the, what was the, the ones before the the studio records were August and Behind the Sun and those mm-hmm. were kind of like you know man they're poppy but this was Eric Clapton being Eric Clapton again That's and right. And doing it in a way where he could get on the radio and really take his place again as the as one of the Mount Rushmore of guitar gods. That's right, you know. And he got so many people to play with him. He got you know Robert Cray, you know, played on four songs and did solos on a, on a few. George Harrison came back uh, to do one song with him, you know. Nathan played on most of the songs. Daryl Jones of uh, of Rolling Stones fame played on there. Pino Palladino. Played on there. Jim Keltner, who's a great drummer. Phil Collins. Steve Ferroni, who would eventually be a big-time drummer for decades for Tom Petty in the Heartbreakers. Um, Fathead, who played with Ray Charles. David Fathead Newman played on there. David Sanborn. Shaka Khan sang a little bit on there. Daryl Hall, you can hear him on there. You know, it's like, they just like get everybody in there to play with yeah. him, right? You know? <laughs> Let's let's make this the biggest thing it can be. But that leads me to my very, 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 very favorite Eric Clapton story. And that is getting tickets for the Journeyman Tour. Because as you know, within a year and a half of that, Jackson, you and I were living together. uh, Mm -hmm. And we had to go camp out for tickets to Rush. Yeah. And Clapton was coming to Cincinnati. He wasn't coming to Louisville where I was living, which is helpful. So you could go to a ticket master because it's not in your town, right? And then you won't have to camp out. There won't necessarily be a line around the block at eight right. in the morning. So me and my three buddies, we went to go get tickets. We went to the mall where there's a ticket master, but there's already a pretty line, pretty big line out there. So someone's like, I know where there's a ticket master in a blockbuster down where, you know, there's not so many people, you know, and, and we should go do that. So like, okay, jump in the car, speed down there. And there's only one guy in front of us. So like, oh, okay, good. We're second in line. You know, this is good. And it's, it's 845 tickets come on sale at 10. So we got time. So we're just sitting there singing, and we're singing our favorite songs. We're talking about, oh, would it be cool if we played this, if we played this. And the guy in front of us was a lot older, because we were teenagers. We're like 15, 16 years old. But he's a grown-up, probably in his 30s or 40s. And he's like, wow, you guys are actually really big fans. You guys aren't just pop fans. You guys really know Eric Clapton. I like, yeah, man, Eric's God. You know, we, we can't wait to see him. He goes, well, I worked for a scalper. And in Indiana, at least at the time, scalping was perfectly legal. So someone could go buy, all right, you're allowed to buy eight tickets, go buy eight tickets. And then go get in the back of the line and go buy eight more kind of thing. And then he would give them to his boss. And then maybe he would get a decent ticket out of it, you know, kind of thing. So the guy's like, okay, I'll tell you what, kids. Because you seem like such big fans, and this would mean a lot to you, I'm going to buy my eight tickets as soon as they come on sale. You just buy four tickets anywhere and I'll just I'll swap you my four sweet seats for four whatever seats you get I'm like okay sweet man that's really cool of you thanks yeah he gets third row center tickets okay like I am I was closer to Eric Clapton than I am to my wife and child right now and 
Nathan East is right there, you know. We're making eye contact with him through the whole time. They play cocaine, and every time they get to the chorus, he puts up his finger and goes, cocaine. Like, man, this is amazing. The set list was unbelievable. They play I Shot the Sheriff. If you have setlist.fm, Go look up Eric Clapton Journeyman Tour Cincinnati. It was all the biggest hits off Journeyman and then all the greatest hits you could ever want. The Cream stuff, the Derek and the Dominoes stuff. It was unbelievable. Every single song was something I knew, which was kind of amazing because, you know, you played like 25 songs. For a 16-year-old kid to know every one of them was kind of unbelievable. Changed my life. And then at the end of the show, Steve Ferrone, or is it Ferroni? It's spelled Ferron, who's, I believe he's English, throws out his stick and I catch it. I catch his stick. I still have it to this day. I had my my father-in-law frame it along with the journeyman slip disc that came in the CD and the ticket. I had him frame that to me for me and, and shadow box it. And still just one of the most special concert experiences of my life uh, and it really planted the seed like I gotta go see more live shows and now hundreds of live shows later here we are and I really wonder too like if you had seen that same set from one of the one of the earlier tours that he had done like in the 80s it probably wouldn't have been anything like that I think I think you're right this was his like I'm going back to the I'm going back to what I do the best I'm gonna go and play all the stuff that people want to hear and yeah that's awesome that you got your way into the third row i can't imagine people listening to this thing i mean that that thing must have cost thousands of dollars for for the actual scalp ticket and it was and i wish i had it in front of me but i swear dude before they stick on like the ticket master charges and all that it was like 29.95 or something (laughs) i swear to god it was was unbelievable Yeah, and then of course, and then it was a long time before I ever saw him again because that's that's pretty good. Hard to top, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I say long time; it was a little more than ten years. And I don't know. I know I saw him in Nashville a couple of times, and once when Vince Gill came out to see him. I know I saw him with Steve Winwood once in Columbus. I see. I saw him a couple of times in Columbus. I saw him once in Nashville. I've seen him six or seven times. But you know, I'll tell you, I maybe saw him eight or ten years ago, and I'm like, you know what? I, I think I'm going to stop because he was just kind of doing the more bluesy stuff. He wasn't necessarily doing the big cream hits or the, the you know the, the some of the '80s hits. He wasn't doing stuff, you know, and. And he, I don't know. And obviously he didn't play quite as long as he used to. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to stop chasing Eric Clapton. If he comes to my town, that's one thing. But I'm not going to drive three hours to Nashville. I'm not going to drive three and a half hours to Columbus to see him. And he'll always play Columbus because he married a girl, what, four or five years younger than we are who's from Columbus. And they live a lot in Columbus. And so he always does shows in Columbus. So we can always go there. But I'm like, you know what? Now that I've checked that box multiple times, multiple lineups, multiple shows, seeing all the songs that I've ever wanted to see play. I'm not going out of my way because it is expensive and I'm, I'm getting yeah. a little too old to travel. And, and you get the, you know, it's the law of diminishing returns. You know, it's never going to top that first one for the journeyman deal. And so, yeah, you're like, oh, well, he, eh, yeah, he didn't play this one or he didn't play that one or he didn't play as long. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough when you, when you have that uh, expectation that it doesn't live up to it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but I mean, Thanks to Crossroads, then that let him do Journeyman, do a big tour, get back on top and everything. Then, of course, after the tragic loss of his son, Connor, he made Tears in Heaven, which at first the only way you could do it, get it, was on the Rush soundtrack. You know, the Jason Patrick, Jennifer Jason Lee movie. Yeah. But 
not too long after, the big trend was to get everybody on MTV Unplugged, make them pull out their nylon and, and do those songs. And then that version, I don't know, one in like, I don't know, half a dozen, dozen Grammys, that record sold 25 million copies or something sick like that. And then he was back on top for good. And anything he wanted to do after that, you want to do a blues album, fine. You want to just do something B.B. King, fine. Want to do a tribute to J.J. Gale, fine. You want to do 24 nights at Royal Albert Hall, uh, fine. I mean, he's, whatever he wanted to do after that, whoever he wanted to play with, he's he's golden. He, his life was, not that it was bad before, not that he didn't have any money, but after that happened, he was rich forever. I mean, he's worth like $300 million now, you know. Yeah, that's, that's not too tough to take. And it's crazy how he almost had a second whole career after this, after he put this out. I mean, like you said, oh, well, this is kind of the end. Maybe we'll just kind of wrap it up with this. Mm -hmm. No, that's just the start of, I guess, phase two or maybe phase three, depending on how you want to look at it, of his career. And you're right. I mean, he can do whatever he wants now. He could he could not have an album out for five, ten years, comes right back and he's right back on top again. Yeah, you know, and he's he's obviously up in age now. He and my dad are about the same age, so he's 76 years old. He's not going to be doing enormous tours anymore. And not to mention, he had three daughters with his current wife. And, you know, he wasn't around for his first daughter. Obviously, he had, you know, wasn't around much for Connor. Then Connor passed away way too young. So I think, you know, he got into the point in his life where he's okay to slow down. And he wants to be part of these girls' lives, you know. And, you know, so now, you know, they're in high school. They're in junior high. Dad kind of needs to be around, even if he is 76. I mean, I, I think he's younger than his in-laws or about the same age, you know. Probably. Um, which has got to be kind of stressful sometimes, right? And then it's, it's it's weird, too, because, I mean, could you imagine that? Oh, you know, uh, you should come meet my dad. Who's your dad? Eric Clapton. Oh, okay. Like, awesome. Like your grandfather's a month older than your father. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he, he has certainly changed the world, you know, made an impression on music, on blues, mm -hmm. on pop music on guitar and, and his work with the Crossroads Festival is cool just because he it's basically an excuse, let me get all my buddies out. Everyone who can jam and I'll watch them jam. But he's like, you know what? It's also pretty stressful because I have all yeah. this talent on in front of me. And, you know, Jeff Beck doesn't play two hours. Jeff Peck plays 45 minutes or 50 minutes. So he puts his best songs out there. Yeah. There's a great scene where Jeff Peck is playing Nessam Dorma, which is this really amazing emotional song and incorporates all this sound. And it has this huge buildup at the end. And you see Clapton on the side of the stage, like incredulous, like, Ugh! like throwing his hands up, like, Ugh, what's he doing? How am I supposed to follow this? You know? I go out there with my sneakers and my little acoustic guitar and I play Running on Faith. How am I split? What are you doing, man? So he's like, no, it's it's stressful because like they're playing their very best and the crowd's riled up and at the end of the day, I got to come out and somehow knock them out more. Not easy. Right. And especially when it's your deal too. Like it, it, yeah, it's your no name. matter what happens. Yeah, correct. <laughs> it's your name. It's your festival. They're expecting fireworks from you. So, okay, here we go. But I think it's cool because it, like I was saying before, people say that Eric Clapton is overrated as a guitarist. And again, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know. You could argue that forever, but to, I don't think there's anybody that's had an impact for as long as he has. It, it just constantly almost reinventing himself again and again and again. I agree with you there. And look, I'll tell you another part of the reason I kind of decided I wasn't going to go see Eric Clapton anymore is the solos just seemed a little less 
I don't know if magical is the right word. It, it just seemed like it's it's maybe he's he's just kind of relying on muscle memory, you know. He, kind of going through the motions. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. you know. And he was like, Nino, 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 Nino. I'm like, okay, you're going to get off Nino, Nino, and go down the neck, <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, he's it, not really stretching himself. It's kind of, I've done this before. Let's see what comes up. Yeah, that was good, you know, kind of thing. It, it wasn't knocking my socks off as much as it had earlier in his career. Still great, still killer blue stuff, but... It's kind of like, yeah, I've more than checked this box. I don't need to see him. And like, you know, you see B.B. King in in 1973. That's awesome. I saw B.B. King at the end of his life where he had to sit down Mm -hmm. uh, and he did a lot of talking between the songs. And great honor to be in his presence, be able to say, I saw B.B. King before he died. But it's not like I'm sitting there saying, I'm seeing the greatest B.B. King show ever, right? Right. Even though the band's super tight, even though they've rehearsed this really well, and he can still hit all the notes, it's still not quite the same. And, I mean, look, I, I know what my kind of shape my dad is in at 76. You know, Eric Clapton's in way better shape than him, no doubt about it. And if someone gave me tickets to see him, like he's playing at Royal Albert Hall, I'll absolutely go. Um, that's the that's the other thing too. Your twenty nine dollar ticket that's not going to happen anymore. Twenty nine you pay twenty nine dollars to sit across town and watch him or something like that. Right, like but I can watch not, him on TV behind a pole. Like yeah. that's what you get for twenty nine dollars. For two hundred ninety dollars, right. you can't even be on the floor. So uh, yeah, you know I'm, I'm he, he's he's in the pantheon. One of the greatest guitar players of all time. He may me not quite be able to hit it quite like he used to, but who does anything as well at 75, 76 as they did when they were 25 or 26? I mean, the fact the fact that he's even still here is fantastic. And you're right. There is going to be some slowdown. The fact that he's still doing it is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. So God bless him. Keep going, Eric. You want to put out new music? Please do. You want to tour? Please do. Maybe I'll be there. Maybe I won't. But I will I will <laughs> applaud that you did it. I will support that you did it. And I'd rather have him making new music than a lot of other people out there, mm-hmm. you know. And he, he always went back to the blues. He always came back and did those blues albums. And so I respect him for that because he dabbled in other things. He dabbled with other people. But he always comes back to the one thing that was important to him, and that's the blues. Right. The, the, the you know, 10-year-old him or whatever sitting in a bedroom playing some guitar that he found, you know, somebody gave him or whatever. Yeah, that's still... That's that you talk about imprinting on your psyche. That's what happened, and yeah, that's all he ever wanted to do was play these blues records. It spoke to him as a, and that, that's kind of the interesting thing too. All these guys from England it gravitated toward this American style of music. It's pretty cool. It is cool, and Americans didn't because oh no, black people make that music. We we, mm-hmm. we needed to stick to what white people make. I don't need to be in that, that kind of. They called it race music. I mean, like back in the day, like it's it's blues, man. It, you know, it's about yeah. talking about how life is hard, and it is for everybody. It's particularly hard for black people in America so that's a different show and you know yeah and white people wouldn't listen to it but the Beatles or the Stones dress it up a little bit and we have our nice little suits on and these cute white faces like oh hey I like that hey, stuff that is a great song yeah, yeah. where's that been my whole life uh-huh. yeah it's been right under your nose you <laughs> racist bastard <laughs> please check out this word from our sponsors oh wait we don't have any sponsors <laughs> It's his whole career from 1963 to basically 1992. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's 30 years. It's, it's unbelievable. There's been another 30 years since there, though, man. It's it mind mind boggling. And and, th- and 30 years of like of stuff that you would actually want to listen to. It's not like oh geez, he's he's still doing this. Like I'd never heard these records. They're all pretty big deals when they come out. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it definitely had a, a an entire renaissance after this. 
And even the, you know, even like, well, this is just a blues album. It's got a bunch of covers on it. It's still killer. You know, it's still great blues stuff. Maybe that didn't get on MTV or run up the charts, but it's still fantastic records. So that concludes part two of our two-part episode on Eric Clapton's box set Crossroads, the career-encompassing collection that came out in 1988. It was a little expensive at the time, but absolutely worth every dime. Introduced a young wolf to Eric Clapton throughout the years. The Yardbirds, Cream, Derek and the Dominoes, John Mayall's Blues Breakers, Blind Faith, all his solo stuff, his collaborations. This stuff in the 80s, all amazing and holds a special place in my heart because of when I was turned on to it and who I listened to it with, namely my old man, uh, my buddies from high school, and of course, Action Jackson. So we hope you enjoyed it. And he's scheduled to play in May at Royal Albert Hall 2022, about the same time that I'm supposed to see Jeff Beck and Yes and Peter Frampton. So we'll see if all that in fact goes down and we'll see if now that we're officially, I guess, out of lockdown and you're allowed to gather in large groups, will any concerts take place in August or September or October before they say, oh, you know what, that was a bad idea. We're going to have to lock back down or we're going to have to quit the group gatherings or whatever the case may be. We'll see. I don't know what the future holds. But I'd like to hear from you about what you want us to play in the future. What do you want us to review in the future? What do you want us to unlock? What do you want us to go in depth on? Which albums and artists are important to you? Tell us. You can tweet us at ugly underscore werewolf or at actionjack72. And make sure you check out all past episodes at www.uglyamericanwerewolf.libsyn.com. Com. Make sure you subscribe or download on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or anywhere you get your podcast. And check us out. We're in the top 25 on Feedspot of their list of top 25 rock music podcasts. Next week, we're going to take a little bit of a turn. We're going to review an old band, but a new release. And that's Kiss on A&E's biography. They had two-night special in late June, four-hour event on the history of KISS for over 50 years. Jackson and I obviously watched them both. We know a lot about KISS. We've been fans over the years. We've watched their videos. We've watched their stuff on their history. We've read their books. We've seen them live. And there were some revelations here that we'll talk about next week. So until next time, rock and rollers all around the world, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 